Welcome to the 15th episode of the Cranky Flyer interview. I'm just back from the Boyd Conference, and for the third year in a row, I sat down with Southwest Chief Revenue Officer and Executive Vice President Andrew Watterson. Last year, I veered away from the podcast format, and really, I don't know why. Andrew's a great guest, so we're back at it again this year. We'll talk about the Max, Newark, and Southwest business. Which brings me to my joint fake sponsors, Travelport and Amadeus. Southwest full participation in Travelport and Amadeus reservation systems gives you another reason to leave Sabre if you needed one. Remember, you can be a real sponsor. Just email me at cf at crankyflyer.com. Let's get going. All right, we are back at Boyd once again. Andrew Watterson from Southwest Airlines. Uh, I want to start with the Max. Want to start with the Max? I do. Can I, can I say one thing first? Yeah. Which I was amazed in the comments of the previous podcast. Cool. Yeah. I, I would say Biwi for BWI, oh. and so many people were surprised. Like, what's Biwi? Like, it was a new thing. I thought really? everybody in the industry used Biwi, but I, I, I guess not. I thought they did too, but do, do you call it Smurf for Sacramento? We do call yeah. it Smurf. No, that's, that's less, less known, but yeah. That may be a little, lo- yeah, I'm curious. Uh, we'll have to see. Uh, maybe readers can comment here with their favorite ones here. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that that was the takeaway. That, that, that was the, the surprise I got from the from the, the comment section. Because usually <laughs> the comment sections are not places to find insights. Uh, well, <laughs> I will say that I take pride in my comment section as being certainly above what you find on. And you do curate other places. it. Other places just like let it go free. And you curate <laughs> it, so my hat's off to you. Well, I try not to curate it too much, but I also want to <laughs> prevent madness from. You know, angry. That's true. Threats, things like that. Uh, anyway, let's start with the max. Mm-hmm. How many are you supposed to have right now? I don't know as of right today, but we have 34 that we own that were grounded on the, the date was they were grounded, right. and then we were supposed to take an additional 41 by the end of this year. Um, and so that was the, the the what we were counting on when we kind of made our plans at the beginning of the year. 75 airplanes by the end of this year yeah. that you will not have flying. The, well, the, those may not have all been slated to be in commercial service because you still have make-ready time with some of the ones that will be delivered kind of towards the end of the year. 70 airplanes. Yeah. <laughs> For a round number, a round number yeah, uh, 65 to 70 is good. Either way, it's a lot of airplanes. Yeah, it's, 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 it's at the end of the year, it's approaching 10% of our capacity that is not available to us like planned. So, And you did this... Schedule pruning, I guess, uh, where you've cut, I think it was mostly long haul. I guess that's the easiest way to do it, right? Was we, that the idea? Or? We cut um, a, 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 a kind of rotating range, if you will. It wasn't the same in every single schedule. Some of them may have been common throughout. Uh, but we used um, um, uh, we had some technology that the uh, our network planners developed that aided them, give them a first pass on uh, on what to cut, and then after that, it's manual to kind of make it all uh, balance correctly and uh, uh, make some good decisions, if you will, uh, that the machine necessarily couldn't see. And so uh, I'm really pleased with how the network planners did that. It's, a, it's quite balanced, and it's resulted in, I think, a pretty good result. So how did you look at that then? Was it based on just how much aircraft time you could free up, or was it... Uh, you know, profitability, or I guess it's probably everything. But. Well, we had a certain amount we had to take out, obviously, the aircraft we were short. We um, wanted to make sure that uh, the customers who had kind of currently booked uh, could get to their destination, and overall that we can maintain the itineraries we originally published. Even if it wasn't on a nonstop, you could still have a connecting itinerary, or if that connecting is no longer available, a, a different connecting was available. So over 99% of our itineraries were preserved, and we were able to accommodate a you know, large number 
uh, almost all the customers that had booked with us were able to accommodate either automatically or uh, through the phone to kind of go through different options with them. So that was um, the number one criteria. Then after that, the network had to stay roughly kind of in balance. Uh, you, you needed to kind of still provide the level of activity that was contemplated when you had a, so if your crew bases and your maintenance bases. And so the operational constraints came next. And then after that, the last one would be a more of an economic. I guess the ultimate question here is, should people read into this? Are these routes that maybe are on the chopping block anyway, or are these routes that everyone should expect to come back when you have your full fleet? So what we've kind of um, pulled out from you know the March schedule all the way through the end of this year, uh, feasibility uh, was more than optimization um, behind this. So when we set up a new schedule, we optimize it and everything we're doing is intentional. Uh, when we're kind of mid-booking curve, doing surgery on the schedule, uh, there, there's so few options left once you've kind of got everything already published uh, compared to if you do a clean sheet. The feasibility is more behind what you see than kind of uh, optimization. So I wouldn't read overly much into any particular thing you saw. Now, Newark, we announced that we were defending the exit Newark, so that is something that is a fundamental change. Um, but the rest of it was, um, I think, more about uh, circumstance. Okay, all right, that makes sense. And I guess you can't really juice utilization without having to reschedule the rest of the airline, right? So that's that's kind of the problem. With yeah, that. it's hard to really to to take advantage of you know extra aircraft time or, or widen the day, so to speak once you're that far published. You can you can modify a certain amount of the network, and um, but if you modified everything, the number of PNRs that are already created within um, um, that wouldn't kind of automatically be reaccommed and have to follow a queue to be worked is just monumental. There's no right. way you could process them before the flight left. Right. And so you have to modify it within the range of what can be, you know, uh, automated uh, uh, reaccommodation. So what's your confidence level right now and the max returning to service when yeah it's pretty we were also removed this the max through uh january 5th right um, however we think it's perfectly reasonable that it be back flying in q4 uh of this year um so even though we have it all out we would expect then if it comes back in q4 to be able to uh, uh introduce some some new flying as a result of that um, new close-in flying? New close-in flying, yeah, okay. new, new flying. You know, the, the ungrounding will happen and uh, as, a, as an order from the FAA, but there's a whole series of work that needs to be done from, you know, um, uh, uh, updating manuals, which then have to be approved, uh, um, uh, training for the em employees, uh, ungrounding the maintenance tasks to take the aircraft out of long-term storage. There's a whole series of activities that happen to ha have to happen after the AD and before you start revenue service. Um, and so the, there's a, quite a bit of lead time in there, but given that the ungrounding could happen in Q4, you, you, it's likely you could get through all those activities before the end of the year and have some amount of flying, not an enormous amount, but some amount of flying, it would be reasonable. Okay. Uh, I mean, what I assume you have a pretty set timeline of how long it'll take to stand the airplanes back up again, but it also depends upon the manuals getting approved and. I guess you can't control the government on that. Yeah, and so this whole process is one that was not, it's not a, a, a kind of counter-driven process. It's more of a milestone as the safety and, and development work is done. Um, so what we've done is created a plan that is more not counter-specific. It's like day one, and yeah. then this happens, this happens. So we have a whole sequence of, uh, of activities that we anticipate happening uh, after the AD uh, dropping such that we kind of get it back in the air in, in, in a timely and, and safe manner. And so 
that um, I think is a valid plan, regardless of what day it is the government says you're okay to go. Okay, and just hoping that comes soon. <laughs> I guess. Well, it's, you, I think you, there's a we're in a fundamentally different part of this whole endeavor other than we're in the beginning. In the beginning, there was a lot of research into. Um, the aircraft and, and frankly kind of looking for issues, looking for things, and uh, ultimately uh, the regulators settled on a couple things that they found and then they said, okay, now Boeing developed a solution into it. Right. So we're no longer in the research phase where they're, where they're, they're quote, looking for stuff. Now we're in the kind of development phase of the solution. Uh, so the, the, the uncertainty goes down. You still don't have absolute certainty of when it comes back, but the, the, the range of uncertainty is, has uh, has narrowed quite a bit because of this, you know, more solution development. That still needs to be approved, and there still can be stuff that happens and, and found. However, um, there's n less opportunities for kind of complete wild cards than there was, say, uh, uh, two months ago. But there was, I mean, it was only a month or two ago that they found that additional issue, right, that then delayed the potential entry again. So yeah. y you think they've fully gotten through everything now, no more surprises well, on that front? Well, our understanding is that they, they've, they, they've finished the, the, the series of tests that the different the worldwide regulators had of like, we want these things tested, and they went to Boeing's engineer engineering um, uh, 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 simulator in, in Seattle and went through an enormous number of scenarios and, and looked at a lot of different concerns, and so they went through that list. The result that was publicized with this one extra issue that they, they uh, wanted addressed. And so they've kind of finished that uh, that um, laundry list and now on to evaluating the solution. And yeah. just the, the nature of that activity means it's, you know, there's less opportunities for complete wild cards to happen than the worst, but while they're still like looking for stuff. And so we wait. Indeed. <laughs> so let, let's, you talked about Newark. Let's go back to that for a minute here, uh, or two. Uh, so Newark, you have tried a lot of different things. Yes, we have. Over the years. Um, but ultimately, it just didn't work. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, what specifically well, I, is the issue? I compliment you on the article you wrote on, on that uh, a while back. The um, Newark we got as a result of the United Continental merger. We paid a very small sum for that. Um, and we didn't have a whole lot of New York access. And so we knew that we needed some New York access, and we thought this could be a substitute for it. And so. We tried it, and if you look overall at the kind of um, the uh, origin destination demand for New York City, LaGuardia skews out in. I mean, more people are, are starting their journey going uh, from a city to LaGuardia, whereas Newark's the opposite. Most people are starting their journey in Newark to go somewhere else. So Newark, uh, you really uh, need to be relevant locally in the New York metropolitan area to kind of make a, a situation like that work. And so we have a lot of places in the eastern United States where we're relevant. New York's not one of them. So we're more about bringing people to New York. And uh, whether they're correct or incorrect, people prefer LaGuardia as their way to get to, uh, to New York City. And so as we got access to New York, to LaGuardia, uh, increasing amounts of access, I should say, over the last five to six years, we kind of had what we needed uh, for um, uh, LaGuardia. Um, and then Newark, we tried different things to make it work, as, as you mentioned. We even tried trading it. We tried to find airlines who would trade us other stuff for New York, Newark, and we just didn't get any takers either. So that tells you about the demand for uh, Newark uh, infrastructure. Trading with your gates? Well, so it went back when there were slots, we tried to trade the oh, slots. Oh, back before. Yeah. And so oh, so you've been trying to get oh, out of here for a long time. Oh, goodness gracious, yes, yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> 
Does it not help now with the decision you've made on the sales side, the, the new Southwest business with the you know part, full participation in the GDSs? Is that not something that would have helped in a market like that? Or it, it, is it just too small of a footprint, you think? That would have certainly increased a, um, a relevance, but it was it, it was um, a pretty far underwater, and um, on we, most of that demand is to New York, not from New York. So any additional from New York traffic we got would not have outweighed the kind of overall hurdle we have, which is you know people want to go to LaGuardia. I, I was always curious about that, though, with Newark. It seems like there could still be a way that you could use that in your network. I mean, Nashville, I think, was one you may have gone in and out of a couple times. I assume there was some affinity there, maybe some potential corporate needs or something. I mean, was there no ability to just say, all right, we're going to take, we're going to have one gate, we're going to run, you know, half to Nashville, half to Chicago, and, and yeah. you know, that's all we need. We didn't see enough um, uh, traction in those places. We, a place like Nashville, we're the hometown carrier. People really love us there. And so they listened to us. And so we thought in places where they listen to us, maybe we could explain about how convenient Newark is if you're trying to go to Lower Manhattan, because uh, it is. The train goes right from the from Newark into Lower Manhattan. It's super convenient, no worry about traffic, but we still couldn't get people to listen to us and, and say, uh, I want to go to Newark. They wanted to go to LaGuardia. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, we had many years of trying different things, as you pointed out in your article, and we couldn't really find uh, a strategy that worked. So. Talking about average fares or yields or you know however you want to talk about it, but uh, I think was it Seth Kaplan I think wrote a piece for Points Guy on this if I remember. I right. saw the headline but I didn't read the article. <clears throat> okay, well I'm over cranky flyer guy. Well, <laughs> there's room for everyone. <laughs> uh, but it, looking at some of the fares into LaGuardia, yeah. I mean you, you were getting higher fares. Uh, on some Newark routes, uh, it looked like compared to LaGuardia. The average length of haul was higher in Newark, so I don't know if he stays adjusted. I think it was route specific, is what he was looking at. If I remember. Okay, and right you also there. there was a, uh, also a look at the onboard composition because there's different the flow and the, and the, and the nonstop composition of both of those uh, both of those routes. So you you you're saying LaGuardia still performs better? Oh yeah, we're we're pleased with LaGuardia. LaGuardia really? LaGuardia works well for us. We'd like more LaGuardia slots. Uh, if anybody out there has one, uh, there are two. Uh, uh, we'd love to pick them up. Could have traded some old Newark slots for it. You I, lost. I it. tried, man. I tried. <laughs> Nobody was interested. All right. Fair enough. Uh, I, I want to now go back to that the Southwest business yes. thing again. If you could talk more about the decision to finally do this. <laughs> I mean, it's been forever that people yeah. have wanted this to happen. Dipped your toes in in one way with sort of participation, but it was never really a great solution. And now you finally made this jump. Yes. Um, how, why did you get there? Well, the uh, we had participation uh, over the years. I mean, early in our early days, we were we were in uh, GDSs, but not fully, as you point out. It was it was a hassle to do business with us, and so we have a. Um, uh, a strong preference to be direct consumer uh, on the B2C side, and that kind of ported over the B2B side. And um, and we had some pretty good success, you know, a number of years ago with Suavez. We kind of penetrated that market, and then we kind of got a lot of potential there. And then we moved to a Direct Connect, and then that was very successful. Um, but then eventually those things start to kind of um, uh, uh, reach their natural penetration level and to really get uh, our fair share, so to speak, of the corporate travel, especially the large corporations, 
Um, natural you, share. You, you need to. Uh, I didn't say natural share. <laughs> I said a fair share. Uh, the, we, you need to get more um, uh, uh, presence in the GDS. Just the, the hassle, as you know, of agencies doing business with Southwest was not what it is uh, like it is on the consumer side, where we're a pleasure to do business. Consumers <laughs> love us because we have great flexibility. We take care of them. Uh, as a B2B, um, we're a pain in the butt. And so we want to kind of make it really friction-free to do business with us. So we're saying, you choose the channel, your channel of choice. We're upgrading Swabiz and making it better. We're improving our uh, Direct Connect, and now we're in with the, the uh, ATP Goes NDC Connect uh, channel. And we're being full participation in, in uh, Amadeus and Travelport and ARC Settlement. So however you like to do business, we'll try to make it just like uh, the consumer side where we're super easy to do business with. So where do you see it? I know you, you published the financial benefit that you yeah. expect to come from it. So how do you get to that number? Where are the, the chunks that that's coming from? Well, we, you can see around the United States, we're uh, the hometown carrier in, in 25 of the 50 largest metro areas. In those metro areas, we um, uh, ser serve both travel purposes of leisure and, uh, and business. And so right now, we already have a good book of business with companies in those, in those cities. And we think this allows for deeper penetration of some of those same corporate accounts, where today we're, um, uh, we're underpenetrated, especially the, the larger corporations. Okay, so it's, it's really just across the board. It mirrors our network. So if you look at our network and look where we're strong in our network, you, the, the business traveler, he or she really cares about the schedule. Yeah. Uh, and so where our schedule convenience at its, at its best is in those hometowns. And so we think that with our uh, attractive schedule and, and attractive change uh, uh, policies, that when you have a kind of uh, friction-free uh, 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 corporate booking, that I think we, we start to get naturally uh, some of our uh, uh, share of business travel we don't have today. Naturally. All right. <laughs> we'll end it there. Thank you, sir. It's a pleasure, as always. Thank you so much. Until next year. Look forward to it. See? I told you Andrew's a great guest. Anyway, that's all we have for now. Thanks again to my fake sponsors, Travelport and Amadeus. I'm sure they're more than happy to have me remind people once again that Southwest will only be participating fully with their GDSs. As of now, let's hope Sabre changes their tune on that one. Until next time, thanks for listening.